Marlene Hutchinson, and welcome to Tips for Guitar Playing Success. As many of you know, I've been sharing my guitar playing tips every Thursday for more than 10 years. It's been my way to hopefully help you stay motivated, be inspired, and continue expanding your guitar playing journey. If you're interested in more learning resources like my guitar courses, lesson of the month club, coaching, Thursday tips blog, and more, go to my website, marlenesmusic.com. And for anyone who's listening and feeling like you're missing out on all the guitar playing fun, you can easily get started with my super simple Learn to Play Guitar in a Day course. Now, on to today's tip. This podcast is brought to you in part by Gator. Whether you just need a bag to gig with on the weekends or a frequent flyer needing a flight-friendly TSA series case or a dedicated road warrior bringing your instruments on tour, Gator has a solution for you. For the stuff you love, guard it with Gator. Also brought to you by... The best cyber sale is happening at Sweetwater.com's Cyber Week deals. You can save up to 80% on their huge selection of high-quality guitars, accessories, and technology. And 0% interest for 48 months on qualifying purchases. The link in the show notes takes you directly to all the best Cyber Week deals at the world's leading music technology and instrument retailer, Sweetwater. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode. I'm super excited because we have an amazing guest on the show today. It's Shelly Pikin. Hey Shelly, how you doing? Pretty good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. So before we jump in, I want you all to know a little bit about this phenomenal hit maker. Shelly is a Grammy-nominated songwriter best known for co-penning female empowerment anthems such as Christina Aguilera's number one hit, What a Girl Wants, and Meredith Brooks's smash hit, Bitch. Shelly has written for and with The Pretenders, Miley Cyrus, Keith Urban, Britney Spears, Brandy, Selena Gomez, Demi Lovato, Mandy Moore, Plain White Tees, Smash Mouth, Jesse J, Natasha Bedingfield, Reba, Sync, and Backstreet Boys. Her songs have been featured in films and television shows such as Big Little Lies, Orange is the New Black, The Blind Side, Music of the Heart, What Women Want, The Good Girl, Bring It On, I Still Know What You Did Last Summer, Ed TV, The Princess Diaries, A Walk to Remember, What a Girl Wants, The Lizzie McGuire Movie, Raising Helen, Born Identity, and teen favorite Disney's Descendants, Rotten to the Core. Her memoir, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, is a humorous pop culture chronicle about her journey from a young girl falling under the spell of magical songs to working professional writing hits of her own, which earned her a second Grammy nomination in 2016 for Best Spoken Word Album. She was voted Best Singer-Songwriter of the Year by Hollywood Music and Media in 2021. 
and was a 2023 She Rocks honoree. Shelley is currently working on two musicals, one with Broadway producers Carl D. White and Gregory Ray, and a passion project with her husband. As a founding member of SONA, Songwriters of North America, she has been a passionate advocate for creators' rights while never losing sight of her first love, the gratifying art of writing a great pop song. So, wow, Shelly, you're a rock star. You're so amazing. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Pleasure. So I think it would be really fun for people to hear about your musical journey. Like, where did your musical instrument journey begin and your songwriting journey? Where did it all begin? Yeah, I think I was I was pretty young. My parents got me a plastic guitar with plastic strings <laughs> and a plastic piano with plastic keys. And um, I didn't really care what the material was. I loved to strum that guitar and tinker on the keys. And I just kind of didn't stop. I was drawn to those two instruments. And soon after I started elementary school, my parents bought a real live upright piano for our home and a real live non-plastic guitar. Mm -hmm. And I just kept bonding with both of those instruments. I loved pop songs. I thought I would try to write my own, but at that young age, it wasn't about, oh, I think I might want to do this for a living. It was sort of a cathartic act. And it was where I had my therapy and wrote about my feelings, just like songwriters who were writing songs on the radio. I was just, you know, doing it at home in private and really enjoying it and feeling like it was a wonderful therapeutic outlet for me and all of my stuff, all of my feelings, good and bad. And um, that's where I went. Yeah, that's so cool. So would you say your instrumental journey began first and then you sort of caught the bug to write? Or, I mean, you said writing wasn't initially what you were thinking. So was the instrumental part of it instrumental in your music journey? I think they came together. And I think this is different for every songwriter. I think um, for some songwriters, the melody comes first. Um, the, the bed for some producers and for some songwriters like a Billy Steinberg, who was primarily lyrics, um, the lyrics always came first. So there's no right or wrong. I think it's just different. But when I, the, the best experiences for me is when they are just born holding hands. Oh, I love that. So you play both piano and guitar, and do you have a preference of which instrument you write your music on? I think the piano gives me a completely different sensibility than a guitar. And for me, the guitar, for most people, is more rhythmic and gives me the opportunity to write songs that I feel are more edgy. Okay. Um, all last year, whenever I played out, I played on the piano. And in the last month or two, I did three events where I brought my guitar and everybody said, well, do you want a piano? We have one here. And I thought, no, 
Um, I play <laughs> guitar. So I was just totally, I don't know what it is. It wasn't something I decided to do um, purposefully. I was just finding the time to bond with my guitar for a while and to get better on that instrument, which I'm definitely less prolific on. Um, but I really wanted to to get better on it. You know, the guitar is something that's more of an extension of your physical body, sort of mm-hmm. like how a sports car is when you have a, a stick shift is just like an extension of the movement of your body. And there are some beautiful relationships with connecting to an audience that you have with the guitar, you can face them. And very often with a piano, I'm finding I'm facing a wall on a stage and you can't turn it. So everybody to your left. Um, So, you know, I think for, I will stick with the guitar for a while. um, And probably in about six months, I'll miss my piano (laughs) and sit down and put my hands on that and feel that energy. Um, I'm lucky. I feel to have a relationship with both and yes. the variety to go back and forth. I enjoy that change of scenery. Oh, that's such a great way to put it. And I love that you were just saying that a guitar is sort of like the extension of your body. I've not heard anyone ever say that. So while you were learning music, like on the piano and guitar, did you take lessons or were you self-taught? How did you um, actually learn? I learned guitar by strumming it and getting those books that show you how to put your fingers on the frets. I never really took lessons as a kid. And piano, I took some lessons, but I really only wanted to learn pop songs. And my (laughs) mother found me a teacher who would come with a briefcase filled with sheet music. It was like 75 cents or something. And every week... I pick out um, a song and he would lead me through how to voice the chords. But really all I wanted to do was plunk out the chords and sing the melody. I never wanted to have to do the work to use my right hand (laughs) to play the melody. That was like very lazy of me, but it was very telling because I was very chord progression centric. And the relationships that certain chord progressions have with themselves and how they made you feel. Like Mm -hmm. I could take a Bacharach song and and hear the major sevenths and know they made me feel whimsy or something by bread would make me feel different than something I played by the fifth dimension, you know, and then my mother, I think, felt like, well, if she was going to invest all this money in a piano teacher, I should be a more proper player. And we tried to get um, somebody over who would teach me classical. And I think I did it for a few months. I just hated it. I just, <laughs> I love listening to classical music and I do to this day, but I do not have the attention span or the work ethic to learn it. I really just wanted to play my chord progressions and sing my pop songs or copy those chord progressions and write my own pop song over it with the same mood 
that the song I was not copying, but to use the same chord progression is an infringement. There are no, 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 of course. Songs that use the same chord progression, but to see if I could, you know, borrow that feeling to this day, if I want to write something, let's say for a movie with a certain feel, or even a song for an artist with a certain feel, I might listen to another song in the background to sort of trigger or jumpstart that emotion. Ah. So. Okay. So do you write your music using chords? Is that how you start to plunk it out either on the guitar or piano? Yeah. You know, or I'll have um, maybe one line ready to go or a title or an idea and I'll pick up my instrument and I will embark with my with my instrument and the one line in my head and I'll see where that takes off okay yeah. and it usually does if I'm really inspired it will um just take off on this road yeah and I find it. yeah I mean if you've got an idea in your head there is a way to match it to chords or like you said if you have a feeling you can sort of play around with the chords to sort of marry the feeling with the musical sound. Is uh, That's the word I use is marry. Okay. They want it to be a good partnership. You know, I think you can give the same lyric to 10 different musicians and they're going to write 10 different songs, but it matters what feels connected to you. It matters what kind of song you want to write and how it feels to you. Yeah. So what is the writing process, both your solo writing process and your co-writing process? Because I imagine they can be a little different when you're working with somebody else versus on your own. Well, the good thing about writing by yourself is you don't have to negotiate with anybody. The bad thing is you've got no oversight. But I think after writing for so many years, decades even, that I am finally on my own oversight committee. I can Mm. finally the next morning and listen to what I wrote the next day. And I can tell myself which lines are not up to speed and which lines can be better. It's really hard to be objective with yourself, way easier to be objective with somebody you're writing with. And if you're writing with somebody who's, who you trust, who is a good collaborator with you, not everybody is a good fit even somebody you, you're dying to write with who has written hit songs doesn't mean you're going to be a good fit with them. But if you wow. find somebody to write well with, you can trust them to be that, you know, like to police your lyrics to tell you, Shelly, this line could be better or to give you another line after the line you gave to answer, to play ping pong. In other words, you know, you okay. still write a line and they can respond and then you can respond to that and they can respond to that. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful sport when you mm-hmm. find somebody you can do that with. Very often, if you have an idea that you feel precious about, it's hard to bring it into the collaboration room because what if you don't like what that collaborator is bringing to that song and then you can't really take it back? It's a very awkward question to say, you know, I don't really like what we did today. Can I have my idea back? Because at that point, it's a child that the both of you made. And what if they like it and they want to use it and then you okay. can't have it back. You so, can't have it back as a song that you write on your own. Right. Because you've already morphed it with somebody else's sensibilities, with somebody else's intellectual property. So, right. Oh, I see yeah. what you're saying. Yeah. 
So now you've written boatloads of hits, you know, what comes to mind, What a Girl Wants, Christina Aguilera's number one song, and uh, Meredith Brooks' smash hit, Bitch. So on those songs, did you co-write those? Were those songs you wrote on your own? I wrote Bitch with Meredith. Um, We were in the room together. She had an acoustic guitar on her lap. There was no beat. There was no production. It was just Meredith and I and her acoustic guitar. And it was, uh, I felt like somebody just like sprinkled fairy dust on us that day. It was magical and organic. And it was like lightning in a bottle, I feel like. And I mean, you know, for every song you write like that, you write 20 that never see the light of day or are sleepers or... You, you never want to listen to again. So it's really special when you have that kind of experience with somebody. And um, what a girl wants, you know, I, I had had these lyrics on a napkin in my purse. Um, <laughs> they were about, you know, moving from New York to Los Angeles, moving in with a guy I'd been having a three-year long distance relationship with. And he had been very, very patient with me and gave me a lot of space until I made that move. And he didn't assume I was going to make it. And I walked into the writing room that day. He was somebody I worked with a lot. And I loved his musical sensibilities. I loved the way he pulled me into areas where I never would have ventured by myself and expanded my palette. And he was just playing something on the keyboard that day. And I thought, oh, you know what? I've got words on a napkin in my purse that I think would go with that. Really? And um, we're, and they did. Yeah. So you and he created this song together. How does it see the light of day where other people hear it and 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 somebody heard it and showed it to what Christina or her manager or somebody and said, you should try this song. How does that evolve? I think Agui's manager um, sent the demo to Christina's A&R. We had sent the song out about 40 times and we got a pass on it. You know, a, a hit song is the right artist at the right time you know, the right time of day, the right moment in their career. So a lot of stars have to collide, but he sent it to Ron Fair, who was making a record with Christina. I think he was just on the verge of signing her and um, he thought it would be right for her. And it luckily it came out on the heels of Jeannie in a Bottle, which my friend Pam Shane wrote. Hmm. And that had gone number one. So we were on the heels of this other beautiful number one momentum. And that was another star, I think, that collided with the fact that it was Christina and her voice and it was the right song and it just flew. So, you know. Wow. The stars aligning and and the lightning with Meredith Brooks. So it sounds and, and like... You have to think about bitch with Meredith Brooks because at the time, bitch was a very risky word. Uh, and yeah. we didn't know how we would get it on the radio. The only other songs we could think of that had the word bitch in it were Elton John's The Bitch is Back and oh. and The Stones. No woman had ever sang the word bitch in a song. So we felt like we were reclaiming it and trying to use it in a good light. If that song came out today, it would be, nobody would be shocked by it because every, so many, like thousands of songs have the word bitch in it now. Um, and then, you know, we go back and think, well, maybe we loosened the lid on it. Maybe we made it 
possible for so many other artists to use that word. Maybe, you know, maybe we're giving too much importance to us, but maybe if it weren't for us, nobody would be using it now or somebody would be using it or trying to get it on the radio for the first time. Who knows? All I know is back then it was explicit and I don't think it's necessarily considered vulgar anymore. It's considered explicit on the DSPs. They have to give a warning, but I think people are just sort of used to hearing it. Well, yeah, I think you blazed a trail to some extent, as did the people you were sort of comparing, like Elton John's song and and so forth. It's like, okay, it sort of had been, people were putting their toe in the water. You put it in, you put your whole foot in with this song, right? Now people are just jumping in with it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's an evolution, right, of time. Mm -hmm. You know, part of it, too, it seems to me from what you're sharing is everything that you've done up until that point or the point with what a girl wants and sent it to the right person. It's like you said, stars are aligning like, but it also includes all of your musical abilities, all of your creative abilities. I mean, if all of that stuff wasn't already in place, then having these songs, because like you said, you've written for every one hit, you have maybe 20 songs that are oh, at least, oh, maybe a hundred. Really? Okay. Oh yeah. So people out there that are <laughs> thinking of writing songs, keep writing, get to 101, right? Right? <laughs> right? It's like social media, you know, everybody goes, oh my God, you never age. You look so good on social media. I'm like, yeah, I don't post the bad pictures. <laughs> of course. I only post the good ones. So you never hear my shitty songs. You only hear the good ones because those are the ones that make it. Although there are a lot of really remarkable songs that people never hear simply because of that same thing. Right song, right time, right place. Mm. And maybe those opportunities never never called out for those other songs. I mean, if I was making my own albums, I would just record whatever I wanted, but I'm not making my own albums. So I've got to wait for the for the right opportunities for these songs. And sometimes those stars just don't collide. So yeah, yeah there, there there's some be- there's some really good ones that never got heard, but there's plenty of songs that, you know, I'm embarrassed to play for anybody. Nobody <laughs> under any circumstance. So were you finding that when your songs came out that became hits, like What a Girl Wants and... Uh, oh, when people one? listen to my songs, you know, around, well, Bitch was out in 97. Um, I, I think, honestly, I think people started listening to A&R, labels started listening to my songs more bef- way before I got my first hit. It was when I got my first recording back in the 80s and it and it wound up being on an album that sold triple platinum and the artist went viral. That word wasn't used then, but I think that was my calling card that I was being considered professionally was a calling card. And it really got me into the doors to see a lot of label people. This was also a time, Arlene, when labels and A&R solicited, asked for, invited and welcomed outside material in the pop space. Oh. So it, it wasn't difficult to get my songs heard once I started being recorded. Did I get more phone calls to write with artists and phone calls from managers to get in the rooms with artists after I started getting singles? Yes. Phone calls asking me to write another bitch and another what a girl wants, which was impossible. 
Yeah. They'd be imposters, you know, but those kind of phone calls, yes. But then it got harder and harder because as time went on up until now, you really can't get a song on a record unless you write it with the artist. I shouldn't say you can't. There are exceptions, but it's really unlikely. The artists want to be part of that writing experience mm. because there's so much less money in the pipeline in the songwriting and artists ecosystem. I mean, digital just kill that physical copy mechanical rate. Mm. So I can't even call a label now and say, could you listen to the song I wrote for Adele? Because they'd laugh at me. They'd really? say, look, Adele's writing their own. I mean, come on. I think we all know this. You, you, you just have to write. I mean, unless you have a really, really special relationship with somebody at her label. I mean, Adele isn't using A&R anymore. She and her productions, very small posse of really talented people are deciding what song she's going to put on an album. Mm-hmm. I doubt she's conferring with A&R. Um, maybe an artist who just got signed might confer a little bit with their A&R. But basically right now it's the artist and a few um, producers they're working with who are their gatekeepers. Mm. And they have a small entourage and posse of really talented writers who are writing with them. So they aren't really listening to something from an outside writer. I feel like I'm so, so lucky to have come up at a time when I was a writer pitching my songs to artists who might want to record them at a time, you know, when it was possible to do that. Because when I talk to young people who still want to do that, I say to them, you've got to be in Nashville. Because in Nashville, there are still writers, artists who welcome songs from that. They they want to have that country pop song. And if somebody else besides them wrote it, they're okay with that. Uh, Nashville's just a different kind of culture where the song is first. And maybe in the pop world, it's more the production Mm. and the sonics more than the actual song. So I say, go to Nashville if that's what you want to do. Here, you really, (laughs) in LA, you really have to be in the room. And that leads me to what I wanted to ask you are tips and hints and advice. And obviously going to Nashville is an amazing tip. Do you have any other tips or hints or advice or ideas for someone who's just starting out writing or would like to give songwriting a try? Well, I'd say it's very, very competitive. And if there are other things you'd like to do, like teach or work with numbers or work with paint or work in the medical field, if there you have any other calling, I'd say, listen to the other calling, because <laughs> this is very competitive. And it's very difficult to make a living unless you're writing hit songs. Because when I was coming up, if you had what we called an album cut on an album that sold a million records, and it, even if it was never a single, you could earn a living very easily. Well, very If you got on those records, it was easy to sustain a livelihood. Um, But if you're in the game and you've got no choice and you want to do this, I'd say um, work on your singing chops, work, know how to work a DAW, a digital uh, workstation where you could program your own songs, where you can arrange vocals, where you can make demos on your own as much as you can do by yourself, as as self-sustaining as you could be get your chops together in in as many 
places as you can in the songwriting space. Learn to play an instrument because you'll have something to accompany yourself with. Um, you won't always have to have a co-writer in the room. You will be able to write a song by yourself. And yeah, get your tools, get your tools together. I I, I didn't have to really program or produce by myself when I was coming up. It was just a different world. But now as much as you can DIY, I'd say the better. Okay. Yeah. And you know, nowadays there are so many tools. I mean, gosh, you can even record it on your phone if you want. Get the idea down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And to not lose ideas. If you're in your car and you hear something in your head, you know, pull over and put it on a voice memo so you don't forget it. Okay. That's great advice. So you're also, I mean, we're almost out of time, but I did want to hit on uh, that you're writing musicals right now. So that's exciting. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, musicals, musical songs are really kind of different than pop songs. And something I had to get used to was that in a musical, if you have a chorus, the lyrics don't necessarily repeat for every chorus. It's a different set of lyrics and it is the story moving forward. So I'd say after, you know, 30 years of pop music writing, it started to be the kind of thing that I could do in my sleep or with my eyes closed. And I was ready to learn something new. I was ready to just try something challenging and just be in a different space. And it was, um, it's been a whole lot of fun and it's just a whole new journey. And um, I'm maybe writing a pop song once a month and doing the musical theater projects pretty much daily. And um, it's just, you know, I think after doing the same thing for so many years, it's great to try something new. I think it keeps you young and it keeps you eager to wake up in the morning and and try something new. Oh, 100% agree with you. Well, when can we expect to hear that these productions are in the works? You subscribe to my blog, Marlene? I do, of course. I love it. Okay, well, I'm always writing about my music journey. Sometimes it's, you know, about my kid, but most times it's about the songs I'm writing, the artists I'm working with, the events I'm participating in, mentorships, and that's on my website, ShellyPiken.com, S-H-E-L-L-Y-P-E-I-K-E-N. And it's called My Confessions Blog. My book was Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, which got nominated for um, an audiobook Grammy. And it's, uh, you know, I talk very often about how the musical is coming along. And when we start doing, um, when we start giving performances and workshops, I will definitely let everybody know because we're going to want everybody to come. So it's probably best to subscribe to my blog or follow me on Facebook or Instagram. I will always be, I want to say bragging, but it's more blabbing (laughs) about my endeavors. I love them too. They're great. You have such a gift with words. And that's obviously why you've been great at songwriting too, because you put music and words together, but you're funny and, and it's quirky and it's interesting. And I just, I really enjoy them. It's great. So yes, do sign up for her blog. It's, it's fascinating and kind of fun to be along on the ride of this journey that you're on. Before we leave, I just wanted to tell you that this is a guitar 
centric podcast. And, you know, when you had originally asked me to do this, I said to you, you know, I'm not like a great performing player. And I have a lot of anxieties about getting up on stage and playing my guitar because I'm not as well versed on it as I am on the piano. And last night, I guess maybe knowing I was doing this podcast, I had a dream that I showed up at a gig, hadn't practiced, forgot my guitar, and my mother, who was deceased, had to bring it to me. (laughs) And when I put it on to perform, the strap fell off and the guitar fell down. So how is that for like guitar performance anxiety? Well, that's a whole other show. I thought your (laughs) listeners might like to hear that. So just wanted to share. (laughs) That's funny. That sounds a little bit more like a nightmare to me. See, even the pros get those feelings. Well, Shelly, I want to wrap things up. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your knowledge, expertise, your experiences, and your fabulous songwriting tips. I know you have helped and inspired many aspiring songwriters that are listening out there. So thank you. Pleasure. I hope this episode's tip has helped you to continue expanding your guitar playing skills and knowledge. If you'd like to learn more, please check out the many learning resources available at marlenesmusic.com. Thank you for joining today's podcast. And as I like to say, play on.